Behold now Behemoth, Chapter 1. They don't tell you what happens in your Mishawaka, Indianas, in the Godzilla movies. It's always the big coastal city business. Now, I suppose that's fairly easy to understand from a narrative perspective, but not a minute is spent anywhere but the very edges of this great nation. Turns out, that's because not much happens in your Mishawaka, Indianas, when a gargantuan atomic reptile beast of tomorrow emerges and unleashes all of his metaphor-rich fury onto the good boys and girls of Manhattan Island. They talk about it on the news quite a bit, naturally, but much like political kerfluffles, which this, of course, has become, and major concert tours, which this, of course, has delayed, we common folk are but mere second-hand audience members, save for the perverse Greek chorus of your various social media sites and forums. No, we Hoosiers didn't feel the effects of his 300,000 millisievert radioactive breath, like three Chernobyls, they say. Nor his 171,000 Newton bite force, like a particularly brawny megalodon, they say. We Hoosiers never did find out about his ancient birth long before any civilization tread upon land, they say. The cause of his rapid growth, scads of nuclear testing in your various atolls, they say. And the circumstances of his sudden awakening, an ill-fated Disney wonder picking the wrong night to debut its Neon Knight's glorious fireworks spectacular, they say. As fantastically tragic as it all sounds, I must admit, I didn't pay it much mind at the time. Wasn't really of much interest. If not for my particular situation, I'd know neither hide nor scale of the Amblerinicus pernicicus, or Stompy Boy, to the insufferable chorus, Titanotile, to those of us with a shred of dignity. This has nothing to do with me, of course. I'm not much of an exceptional character, a bit of a loser by some definitions. It was my brother, and my brother alone, that made me give anything approaching a rat's patoot about the whole big to-do. You see, my brother is a different kind of cat. Mind you, I didn't find this out until far after the fact, on account of me being younger by three years, but he, he either had too many or not enough vaccinations as an infant. One can never be sure. This, somehow, led to a red cable inside a yellow port deep in the wiring, and I assure you, I'm not dumbing this down to appear disconnected. Keeping things straight inside my head was never one of my stronger suits either, so like many aspiring poets before me, oh, I love me a good metaphor. Perhaps, too, I was a victim of Big Pharma, the damn capitalist pigs. But for one reason or another, Young Mr. Henry Freeman, Jr., my brother, was never quite able to make sense of the world that he had been foisted upon, nor the world that he had had foisted upon him. You, you could be thinking of Rain Man about now, but don't. Uh, first and foremost, Henry's objectively bad at counting. Not that he struggles with math. He, he quite literally does a poor job at counting any number of any given item, which makes him a terrible packing partner, too. Mom and Dad never gave up on him, though. 
They may have been tempted on the camping trip after the park ranger was bitten. I was three or four, but I, I could have sworn I, I overheard them briefly considering jumping the border. But every tutor, every seminar, every school, every superfood, super oil, super water, everything short of tray panning the boy, and it worked. So whether Rain Man had lazy parents or weak will is for you to decide. Because my brother didn't turn out so bad. By the time he was a teenager, he could have a full conversation with you. If he knew you, of course, and knew you well, and the conversations had a certain directness to them. But progress was and always shall be measured by improvement. He never really got over the stranger danger phase, and having aggressively rebelled against said phase my whole life, I can tell you, he didn't miss much. Wasn't a joyless boy, though. He, he had his passions. When we were younger, Hank most certainly had a thing for those big monster movies. Kaiju he would tell me, with the same amount of intolerant patience each time. He knew them all, backwards and forwards. He even learned Japanese well before anyone can confirm or deny his fluency in English so he could watch them the right way. It was a remarkable thing. He had no favorite. He had no least favorite. The only way you'd know he was differentiating was the detailed recaps of the plots provided to every available online wiki and Younger brother, requested, or more often otherwise. Fascinating. Mom and Dad hit something of the Spectrum sweepstakes, I suppose. They were able to go all in on the big old monster thing for his whole life. Because he picked the kaiju first and never wavered once again. I had always figured he'd kind of evolved to the Sailor Moon and the tentacle business, at which point our relationship might have fractured, but no. He stuck with the kaijus. Of course, that kind of passion takes time away from other endeavors, like socializing and leaving the house. Hank wasn't a loner, as far as I knew. He had me. He had Mom. Dad. Godzilla. Mothra. Rodan. The rest of the gang. He didn't see the need for anything or anyone else. Of course, that's not how the world sees it. It will forever baffle me that we're more understanding and accepting of desserts than we are of our fellow man. We can do whatever the fuck we want to ice cream with regards to presentation and preparation, but there's only one way to serve connection and emotion. Fried ice cream, rolled ice cream, ice cream shoved inside of an otherwise unrelated foodstuff, why the hell not? But unless you're scooping your thoughts and feelings into round balls stacked inside a white ceramic bowl, they send you away. If no one else can care for you, that is. Once dear old mom and dad were gone, there was only one option uh, left to be the primary caretaker for an elder, Mr. Henry Freeman. I think I believed I could be. I'm not quite sure. It, it doesn't matter. Regardless of belief, we are who we are. And it turns out I could not be. Bit of a loser, as I've said. So off he went to the St. Joseph of Cupertino or something or other behavioral center. Was he angry? 
I don't believe so. I think both deep down, we knew it was inevitable. Still calls me every night at 7.13 p.m. on the dot, and we talk for exactly 36 minutes. He usually dictates the conversations, but I'm a willing participant. He doesn't hold me responsible, but I most certainly do. Guilt's a part of the beautiful rainbow of human experience, I suppose. Doesn't make it any more comfortable to carry. Chapter 2 Hank called one particular night. I do not remember the particular date or even the day of the week. I am assuming the time was 7.13 on the dot based purely on data. But I do remember what he said. Hello, Peter. Hey, pal. How are they treating you in the funny farm? It's a behavioral center. Ah, but what's in a name? We have important things to discuss. Stop fooling around. Now, I love my brother very dearly. I treasure each moment we have together. He's a truly exceptional young man. But I couldn't tell you the last time we had a discussion that could be accurately labeled important. I apologize, Mr. Secretary. Please, what's on the agenda? He talks to me. Hmm? He talks to me. You know, the monster? The, the one in Manhattan? Yes. It's a lot like an iguana. That's why they call it that. I don't suppose you mean Stompy Boy. No, I don't. I have no idea who that is or what that is. I'm talking about Amblerinicus pernicicus from the news. I'm going to need you to spell that for me. Just call him by his monster name, Titanotile. He doesn't mind that one so much. Ah, well, uh, what's he say? Peter, I don't really think I can tell you that. He doesn't talk to you. And you know how you can be with secrets. Well, I don't think Mr. Titanotile has much of a capacity to feel deceived. Does he talk to you? Touché. Well, you wouldn't have brought it up if you didn't want me to dig. Do you remember what Mom said to me about me and the kaiju when we were 13 and 16, when I went to the same regular school as you? Well, it came up more than once that year, I think. She said, if I could just treat the people at school like they were kaiju, I would be fine. I think that might have been the frustration talking, Hank. I, I don't know if that was being floated as a potential solution. Well, all the same, he talks to me, and he'd like to meet me. I'm sorry? Titanotile. He would like to meet me. Ah. I said he'd like to meet me. I don't see what's confusing about that. Unless you're trying to be funny, in which case, I'm sorry, but you're just not funny. No, no need to apologize. Perhaps a funnier brother might have been the answer all along. Well, he wants to meet me. But how am I supposed to get to New York? I already asked the worker at St. Joe's if the bus trip to the Yankees game was still on. I have to imagine it isn't. It isn't. So I asked around, and everyone seems to think you should break me out of here. Everyone? Who's everyone? A few other patients in my wing. Sometimes we play Uno. Well, I'm not surprised that the first friends you've ever made are encouraging you to jet-set to the Big Apple to meet a dinosaur. I don't consider them friends. Will you do it? 
Will you take me to meet him? He wants me to meet him. I want to meet him. Mom's dead. Dad's dead. You don't have a girlfriend. You don't have a job. I told him all this, and he seems to think that you should break me out too. You make my life sound so sad. Your life is sad, Peter. I have the beholder, Henry. But suppose the fella came all the way up from the bowels of the deep to arrange an in-person meeting with my own brother. I wouldn't want to be the one who denied him that. All right. Tell him I'm coming. Okay, don't bring any beer, because if you get drunk and can't drive, I can't drive either, and we'll lose time. Ah, you're no fun. That's not funny either. All right, then. See you soon. Goodbye. The first thing you might note is in no way did that recap cover 36 possible minutes, but you would be wrong. It, it just seems silly to write agonizing pause over and over and over. The other element that might seem alarming is the whole breakout thing. You may even be thinking I'm writing this from a jail cell of some kind. No, no, that's not where we're headed. It was much more a matter of signing out than it was breaking out. I suppose one of his not-friend Uno peers used the term and it stuck to something. I had learned a long time ago not to try to break down etymology with the boy. What he wasn't wrong about, though, was that I didn't have much to do. I suppose I could get around to posting a few things on eBay, reset my sleep schedule, clean out the car, but those could wait. The world had bigger problems than a couple of brothers taking a road trip. I owed it to him, I guess. And it was important to him. The kind of gift that really matters. Like I said, Spectrum Sweepstakes. Plus, this Titanotile guy seemed fairly interesting. I suppose some folks might judge this strategy rather harshly. Some folks might think the right thing to do in such a situation would be to alert the professionals who were entrusted with my brother's care to this development. While I see their point, they're not considering how difficult that would have been for Hank. Other folks, non-tattletales, might think the best course of action would be to gently inform my brother that the kaiju friend he's been training for his whole life is probably not actually speaking to him, but they're ignoring what a tremendous disappointment that would be for Hank. I can only assume that these people are the kinds who think things through, the kinds who prepare, the kinds who consider all possible options and form a plan of attack. But think of how overwhelming, how stressful, how genuinely impossible that would be for someone like me. And, oh, and, and someone like Hank, of course. But ain't that just the Freeman way? Our family's crest is a bridge to be crossed upon getting to it. All I'm doing is carrying the flag. Years of finding out exactly how many miles you can go on E has a profound effect on a person. So to you, the dissenters, the planners, the filling up half a tankers, I issue my sincerest apologies and urge you to consider closing this book and returning to whatever useless concern had you occupied beforehand. Silly things like making sure you're making a good decision or thinking more than ten minutes ahead of time. Now with that out of the way, ah hell, why not? Chapter 3 
The far too familiar creaks and moans of a lived-in home provided a compelling soundtrack for my amble up the steps into my bedroom, as they had for all my thirty-some-oddish years. The only difference was a new instrument that had joined the company, and was seeing its solo time increase with every session. The old man body. After a brief stop at the literal old hole in the wall, the hiding place emeritus for all illegal substances, though it was more an honorary title at this point, who was I hiding it from? And a final flourish, I descended into bed as the Philharmonic packed up their instruments. I've always found that folks who have nostalgia for their childhood homes, the sort that have to take a day when their parents finally sell, more often than not spent exactly 18 years inside those four wondrous walls. Think of it this way. A, a certain very large amusement resort in a certain moderately large southern state pipes smells into its various lands of fantasy, tomorrow, colonialism, and etc., so that each time you cross the threshold to the next dimension of wonder, your own senses betray your awareness of time and space. Your heart might be questioning just how much you truly love all of your children. Your head might be screaming about the financial ruin this vacation has already caused. But damn it, if the nose says deep jungles of the Amazon with a hint of pineapple, then Dr. Goddamn Livingston, I presume. It's a hell of a trick. And rest assured, it works. Perhaps you yourself have been a victim of this particularly vicious bit of gas nosing. But I can't help but think of those poor college interns in the oppressively hot period garb. Sure, we may go from smelling the crackling fires of the frontier to the cinnamon-tinged air of a magical monarchy, but the folks at ye old Christmas ornament shop slash blacksmith don't. They're fed a steady diet of the fires of the smithy and the collective odor of all nations, all creeds, all shapes, all sizes, united under an inhuman sun. Have to imagine it, it dulls the magic. So while someone who packed up the room for freshman year of college, and has yet to fully unpack anywhere else, may fall for the yesterday land olfactory trap, I and my ilk have no such luck. Having had the unique opportunity to smell all of the smells 1963 Peace Rose Lane, Mishawaka, Indiana, had to offer, I found my head tended to focus on the ones that were no longer smellable, as opposed to the ones that lingered. As the sole contributor to its nose economy, the magic of home would have needed to find other ways to infect my brain. Not that it could have, of course. I have seen, heard, touched, and tasted it all. Three out of five stars. Can't complain about the rates, but it's a little empty these days. On this particular night in Chateau Homa Libre, one smell lingered quite strongly. I couldn't help but remember the various towel-stuffing, fan-blowing, and axe-spraying that I would do to hide the aroma of low-quality suburban Indiana marijuana. Hell, I'd still catch myself with a wash of paranoia before remembering the current occupancy rate. Well, physical occupants, at least. Still not sure about the existence of ghosts, but I have enough field evidence that suggests they indeed cannot yell at you for 
bringing grass into the home freely. Frankly, I think my parents should have endorsed and encouraged such a rigid drug regime. Despite what Cheech and that rascal Chong might have told you, marijuana has an uncanny ability to make you reflect on the things you aren't doing while you're getting high until you distract yourself, often by getting more high. After a seemingly innocuous final inhale lit the ever-so-faint pilot light of responsibility, I tuned to the last bastion of truth in our dying nation, cable news. I needed to strategize. I needed to know what it was I was up against, besides the cockeyed quixoticness of it all. And I knew no one more capable than four people working through their childhood bullying live and in color. My mind swelled with possibility. Just how many squares, filled with how many men who somehow look entirely different and alike all at once could one scream fit? Imagine my disappointment when I found it was merely one onion ring tower in a suit talking. Well, they saw the thing coming out of the sky, but with apologies to Sheb Woolley, it was the water. And there was no one horn, no one big eye, just a lot of teeth and even more attitude. Where did he come from? Where did he go? We'll ask Dr. C.I. Joseph, a researcher from the Daystrom Institute for Faith-Based Science, about what he thinks of those questions. Plus, we'll talk to former NFL star and current Democratic candidate for Congress, Bill Romanowski, about what to do next. The lockdowns and evacuations may save lives, but running scared sends a loud and clear signal to our enemies at home and abroad. Can we expect copycats? From the ARN News Desk, I'm Anthony Johnson, and you're in the Anthony Johnson Zone. Oh, darn. I hadn't yet renewed my passport, so while I was good to travel interstates, I decided attempting to cross over into a different plane of reality was far too risky. I idly flipped through whichever streaming service it was I had pledged fealty to for the week, and I began to notice that I was beginning to notice only the titles that seemed to be designed for me. Home Alone. Mom and Dad Save the World. Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Hearing no black helicopters descending upon me, I realized this was unfortunately not a late-stage government mind control operation, no. In fact, I was strapping into the ever-popular, ever-tiresome e-ticket attraction at Pete Freeman World. The star-studded cavalcade of thrills, chills, and fairly unpleasant, but so lifelike, Memories. I am a boy. God damn it, Henry. You were watching them. Look at him in there. He's completely shutting down. This was a hospital waiting room. I knew because there wasn't a single highlights for children to be found. And really, what can the timber toes add to the existential grief of being in a hospital waiting room? Hun, come on. He's okay. All they're going to do is help. He'll be happier. You'll be happier. Petey will be happier. They're little boys, Hank. They play. They roughhouse. Do you know how many busted lip stories the Bradfords have? And they're always laughing five minutes later. And because I'm not as good a mother as Franny Brad... Mary? No. Absolutely not. I won't let you do that. We're not sending him away. We're not giving up. Know why? Because you're not Franny Bradford. You're his mother. You're Peter's mother. 
If we just did a straight up Danny and Donnie for our two, we, we might not even have time to finally wash their faces before Franny would be begging to void the trade. Jesus, Hank, what's wrong with you? They're dirty kids. You know it. I know it. Henry Jr. certainly knows it, which admittedly made July 4th a little awkward. My mom finally laughs, a laugh of relief and resignation in equal measure. I don't think it was him telling the kids to shower that upset Fran and Scott so much as it was the part about asking us to help since the parents were dirty too. <laughs> we're raising a snitch, I tell you. Hey, look, Petey's only a few years away from being old enough to take care of my mom stops laughing. Neither of my boys will ever lose a moment of their childhood because they're my boys. Do you understand me? Henry Jr. will not be hidden away in the attic. Peter will not be a visiting angel. If you're not on board, you tell me right now, and I'll quit my job and start drafting the Seeking Arrangement ad tonight. One sentence too many. One sentence too many. The next time you let WrestleMania start, we're handling it entirely at home. Do you want me to sleep on the couch? My mother can't help but smile. A little bit. Someday, Hank, you'll realize that suggesting your own punishments means they aren't punishments. Or you'll realize it's my way of ensuring I'm always next to you when I wake up. My father reaches over and squeezes my mother's hand as she sighs and reluctantly rests her head on his shoulder. I watch, and I remember. All the I'm sorry's in the world create a traffic jam in my throat, but before order can be restored... I am older. It takes me a moment to realize that I'm now in the diner, which is either an indictment on the decor of the youth psychiatric center or a compliment to Irma's. The pretty waitress asks if she can help us. Oh, I most certainly hope you can, Stephanie. Stephanie giggles. I recognize Dad's flirtiness now. Settle down, old man. I'll have a cup of black coffee and a sausage omelet and Marvin Hagler over here wants pancakes and chocolate milk. Breakfast of champions. Thank you, miss. Stop by any time. Stephanie giggles again. You know, Pete, I can't help but feel like detention would have been a little more punitive. Dad, I didn't even deserve detention. I told Vinny if he said it again I was going to kick his ass, and I'm supposed to keep my promises. Don't do that literalist bullshit, Pete. I deal with the master every day. Yeah, and so do I. And I know he's not a retard. So I'm just supposed to let people say that? What'd Vinny say after you hit him? He cried and told me he was kidding. Vinny Parente? I nod. I play basketball with his dad. Apples, trees, all that. I chuckle. He was a charming son of a bitch. Son, people are selfish. It's human nature. Whatever the most important thing in the world is to you, it doesn't matter a single lick to Vinnie Parenti, Johnny Parenti, or anyone sitting in this diner. So you can't expect them to take time out of their pursuit of whatever theirs is to avoid stepping on your toes. So I should just let people say whatever they want about my brother? Well, no. Sometimes people need to be reminded that we're all sharing the road here. What do you do then? 
foul them hard next time they drive to the basket. Isn't that what I did? That principal of yours is the one who said you were in the wrong, not me. Yeah, but Mom won't agree. My father smiles and stares off into the buzzing light as if he's hearing his favorite song again. Your mom would be very proud, I think. Your mom would be happy you stood up for your brother. Because at the end of the day, you both are her thing. You think a little toe-stepping ever slowed her down? You really think so? I do indeed, son. In fact, so confident am I in thinking she'd be proud. The way I see it, mentioning it to her would be a waste of perfectly good air. I'm sure you'd agree. So we should lie to her? No, 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 Peter. Lying is wrong. We need to omit. But you just said we should omit. Not lie. Omit. An omission isn't a lie. Just a missing fact. I like it. <laughs> Some legacy I leave, huh? Oh, thank you, ma'am. Appreciate it. Come on, son. We have to get gas before we head home. Dad was much more formal with Stephanie this time around, as if he'd just heard his favorite song again. Before I can tease him for it, he is gone. The law says I am a man, but that seems like a strong word for it. I'm sitting on the front stoop that I've seen most every day before this moment in time and will see most every day after. My mother is smoking a Maverick Silver 100 from my half-empty pack. I quit during both of your pregnancies. Cold turkey. Well, I know the evidence is circumstantial. However, she laughs. More resignation than relief this time. Christ, you sound just like him, Peavy. Always something to say. He never quit, you know. Smoking. Tried so hard to hide it. Did you know... He once tried to convince me that he had kissed a co-worker in a moment of drunken weakness at a holiday party when I was seven months pregnant with you. What? Yep. Had to explain the smoke smell on his breath. And I cheated? Was a safer bet? I always thought Dad was smart. Oh, he was, Peter. He was. Everything was a safer bet to him than ever coming up short and supporting me and you boys. God, he loved us. And I loved him. The two years he had me as a wife were wonderful. And then, well, being your mother doesn't leave much time for being a wife, now does it? Being my mother? Do I need to go tell Hank you called Godzilla a giant dinosaur again? Hank? <laughs> Hank was easy. You... You were just enough like your father and just enough like your mother to be the biggest scutch you ever lived. I put my arm around her. She rests her head on my shoulder without hesitation. Well, I think old dad probably needed a mother more than a wife, wouldn't you say? <laughs> you have a point. You know, Ma, I've been thinking maybe I'll stick here for a bit. I already talked to Coop. He thinks he can find a roommate in no time. Her head snaps up. Absolutely not, Peter Freeman. Absolutely not. Ma, come on, just a few weeks. 
It's going to be pretty empty here with just you and Hank once all of Dad's family heads home. Might be helpful to have another set of hands. Young man, I am very much looking forward to sharing my house with just one of my children rather than two and a half. You call Adam, you tell him you're still in, and that you were crazy for suggesting otherwise. Tell him it's my fault. Lord knows he's heard that before. But your father and I worked as hard as we did so that both of you boys could have the most normal lives possible. Dad being gone doesn't change anything about that. Listen to me. I'm okay. Hank's okay. You're free, my Petey. I love you so much. She kisses my forehead. I make my way inside. If you get married again, I'm not calling him dad. Unless he's rich. If he's rich, I'll swallow my pride. But I, I don't want him coaching my teams. Good night, Peter Freeman. Good night, mother. I walk upstairs to the room I'm still sitting in. There is a crash, just like there will be every night at this time going forward. I am alone. I am at the funeral home. The mortician is showing me caskets. I am alone. I am standing in front of the most economical yet tasteful of the caskets. A man is shaking my hand. He's my mother's Uncle Dean, which he has just finished telling me for the 75th time. He is sorry. I am alone. I am signing papers in a sterile office. The man in the suit shakes my hand and exits. I am alone. The ride ends. And I am anything but.